is Diagnosis Glaucoma with your hosts, Dr. Mona Colleen and Dr. Harry Quigley. Hello, and thanks for joining us. Today, we will be speaking with our esteemed colleague, Dr. Henry Jempel. Henry, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I have been a member of the glaucoma faculty at the Wilmer Institute ever since I finished my fellowship here in 1988. My week is divided between clinical care, research, and administration. The most important extracurricular activity I have at the moment is I serve as editor-in-chief of the official journal of our professional society, the American Glaucoma Society. The journal's title is Ophthalmology Glaucoma. Is that a journal that patients can access, or is that related more to information for doctors? Yeah, so it really is a journal geared towards ophthalmologists and glaucoma specialists, and is probably a little too specialized for the average patient. But uh, there are many excellent resources out there, such as this podcast, that are ideal for patients. And another question for you is, what is the thing you most enjoy about what you do? So the core of what I do is really the patient care. And being in a busy glaucoma practice gives me access to just all types of patients from all walks of life with all sorts of different problems. And it's really a privilege to be able to have such a window into the world. Now we're going to talk to you about a very important topic, and that's related to intraocular pressure. We do have an introduction on that topic in episode nine, but the question I have for you is, Henry, does having an elevated eye pressure always mean glaucoma? Like, is that part of the definition of glaucoma? Yes. Well, that's a very important point, Mona. In fact, the level of the intraocular pressure should not fit into the definition of glaucoma. As I imagine you've gone over in other podcasts, we define glaucoma as an optic neuropathy, that is damage to the optic nerve. Now, the level of the eye pressure is related to the likelihood of developing glaucoma, that is optic nerve damage. But a key take-home point is that elevated eye pressure is not equal to glaucoma. In your opinion, what are some of the other things that can cause glaucoma then if it's not just the eye pressure? We believe that the causes of this optic nerve damage that we call glaucoma are multiple. We know that elevated eye pressure can be a dominant cause of glaucoma because we have patients who, due to trauma, or other causes have a very high eye pressure in one eye and not the other, and it's the eye with the very high pressure that develops glaucoma and the other eye doesn't. However, we have many patients where the intraocular pressure is unremarkable, yet they get glaucoma as well, so we know there are other factors involved. Those other factors we break down into various categories, such as insufficient nutrition, 
to the optic nerve, perhaps due to poor blood supply, or perhaps defective supporting tissues around the optic nerve that result in glaucoma damage. But the fact of the matter is that we are still investigating these other factors and therefore don't have treatment for them. A question that we get in the clinic all the time is, hey doc, what's normal eye pressure? And then to tag onto that, what should my eye pressure be? How do you answer that? Yes, so the answer to the first question, what is normal eye pressure? I will tell the patient that, well, if you take a whole bunch of people without glaucoma, their eye pressures will usually fall between 10 and 20 with an average eye pressure in the United States of around 15 to 16. But there are many individuals who are normal, who have eye pressures that are higher than that. And there are many individuals with glaucoma who even without treatment have eye pressures that fall within that range. So a more important question, which you've already alluded to, is, well, doctor, what is an appropriate intraocular pressure for me? So a safe eye pressure is highly individualized. And how do you figure out what that target eye pressure should be for each person? It's an educated guess that's based upon one's own experience as a doctor and the experiences of others. But I can tell you, having extensively reviewed about 20 years ago now, what we glaucoma specialists at the Wilmer Institute do and how we make that determination, we figured out that the overwhelming driving force for what we feel is the appropriate safe pressure is whether there is already damage to the optic nerve and if there is damage, how severe the damage is. So to a first approximation, the more glaucoma damage that is present, the lower the safe eye pressure needs to be. This can be modified by several other factors that go into the equation. But in fact, this is what we do. The worse the damage, the lower the eye pressure needs to be. I find it really helpful when patients have some kind of record of their eye pressure trends over time, and especially knowing what their maximum eye pressure is. I tend to take the maximum eye pressure, and then when I come up with my target, I'm reducing from the maximum by around 25 to 30% in most patients. And generally, that's how I usually come up with my targets. And I agree with you. The data that we obtain over time, like the testing, the visual field, and the optic nerve scans, if there's change that's occurring at a certain eye pressure, then it generally is an indicator to me that we need to lower the pressure even more. But I found that there are some patients who have a quote-unquote higher than normal eye pressure, and I follow them over a long period of time and nothing ever happens. So that's another good question is, does everyone with a high eye pressure need to be treated? The answer to that, as you know, is no. Not everyone with a high eye pressure needs to be treated. One thing that we learned about 20 years ago 
is the influence of the thickness of the cornea, that clear window-like structure in the front of the eye, the influence of the cornea's thickness on the intraocular pressure that we measure. And as it turns out, if an individual eye has a thick cornea, the eye pressure that we measure is higher than the eye pressure actually in the eye. And you can be certain that for many, many years, there have been many patients who we treated or thought they had eye pressure when all they really had were thick corneas. Now, even in eyes that do not have thick corneas, many with elevated intraocular pressure do not need to be treated. In fact, one of our former colleagues at the Wilmer Eye Institute, Michael Bolin, wrote a paper suggesting that it's only the very rare patient over the age of 70 who is normal in every way but has high eye pressure who needs their eye pressure immediately lowered. Are there certain factors that you think predispose someone to needing a treatment like you just mentioned about the thickness of the cornea? So what if you have someone with an eye pressure of like 23 or 24? What are some of the distinguishing factors that might make you want to treat one person versus not another? So probably the dominant factor in that situation is the patient's age. So as I've already mentioned, the work of our colleague, Dr. Boland, arguing that, boy, once you reach a certain age, unless your eye pressure is super high, you probably don't need to be treated if you're otherwise normal. On a similar vein, someone who is 30 years of age with a pressure of 23 and is going to be living for the next 60 plus years versus a 90-year-old who is determined to have a pressure of 23 totally different story. It would be the extremely unusual 90-year-old who had no optic nerve damage and a pressure of 23 who would ever suffer vision loss from pressure damage to the optic nerve during the remaining years of his or her life. Beyond age, I will at least consider family history, particularly a history of a first-degree relative who needed glaucoma surgery or who went blind from glaucoma. So we have age and family history. And then I might be more likely to treat a fairly nearsighted person because nearsightedness is a risk factor for the development of glaucoma damage. And what if the patient has a history of diabetes or high blood pressure? I would say that the presence of high blood pressure and diabetes would rarely play a large role in my decision to treat or not treat other things being equal. Those have just never really been borne out as risk factors for the development of glaucoma in a consistent way. In fact, as may have been mentioned in previous podcasts, there are some individuals who think that very early diabetes actually is preventive for the development of glaucoma. How does having a good eye pressure differ from a good blood pressure? 
Well, this is my opinion, as are so many other things in this podcast, but my impression of what is done in the world of blood pressure management is that guidelines have been determined for what is a safe blood pressure, and it's come down over the past couple of decades, and that uh, in general, one size does fit all. If your blood pressure is higher than, say, 120 over 80, then you can be considered being borderline hypertensive. If your systolic blood pressure is 130 and your diastolic is over 80, then you're considered as being hypertensive. And regardless of the blood pressure that you start out at, your doctor will try to get you into that safe range. Whereas my attitude towards the intraocular pressure is that one size does not fit all. Some patients need an eye pressure of 12 to be safe. Other patients can live happily with an eye pressure even as high as 25. It all depends. What do you personally consider to be a safe eye pressure and what is dangerous? So there are upper limits of what would be considered a safe eye pressure. Once the eye pressure is consistently in the 30s, in almost all individuals, the likelihood that damage will ensue over the years becomes extremely high. So it would be rare to leave a patient with eye pressures in the 30s untreated. Once one gets higher than that, there are risks of elevated eye pressure other than simply the slow damage to the optic nerve. At the very high eye pressures, there's a risk of causing occlusions of the blood vessels in the back of the eye. And so in those individuals with pressures of 40 or higher, we will invariably treat them to lower the pressure and do that rather rapidly. And on the other spectrum of this is low eye pressure. Is there an eye pressure that is too low? And what happens if it gets too low? That's a fairly common question as well. And I reassure patients who have not had surgery for glaucoma that there's almost no chance that their eye pressure can go too low. However, once a patient has had glaucoma surgery in which the pressure can go very low, there is an eye pressure that is too low. But this again varies from individual to individual. So after, say, trabeculectomy surgery, where we make that passageway from the inside of the front of the eye to the space under the conjunctiva, sometimes we have eyes with pressures of two, three, or four. And in some of those individuals, the eye sees just fine and the patient is not aware of the low pressure, where in other patients, the vision is either constantly blurry or the vision varies from day to day and hour to hour. Again, it seems to be individual. One thing I wanted to point out, which is actually a question I got recently, is if overusing your eye drops can make your eye pressure drop too low. And correct me if I'm wrong, Henry, but I have certainly not heard that overuse of a medication can make your pressure drop too low. However, what overuse of a medication can do 
is irritate your eyes and also you would run out of your medication sooner and then you wouldn't have enough for when you really need it. So I'm going to advocate for not overusing your drops. Just use them as you are directed to do so. Well, I certainly agree with that and will also agree that in the absence of surgery, I do not think one can cause the eye pressure to be too low from overuse of the eye drops. If the eye has had trabeculectomy surgery or tube implant surgery, I think there are times where use of the drops when they're not supposed to be used could result in a pressure that would be too low. But that's only after surgery. But for the glaucoma patient who is not had surgery and is just using eye drops, you're right. The main downside of using it too much is running out too fast, causing more side effects, and having to refill sooner. Yep. So if you have a question about that, please talk to your doctor. Don't do anything just on your own as an experiment, quote unquote. Now, Henry, you've done some really interesting work in the past, and I know that you're up to a lot of interesting things now also. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? Sure. Well, actually, what I'd like to do first is review my relationship to the concept of target intraocular pressure. And it was about 25 years ago that I was uh, asked to give a talk at one of our national meetings about which I knew nothing. And that was establishment of a target eye pressure, a pretty new concept at that point. The talk was well received. And then I was asked if I would consider writing it up into a scientific paper and publishing it, which I did. And as a rather junior investigator at that point, I got very involved in the work and made it very complicated and a little bit hard to read. But it kept me interested in this concept of the target eye pressure. The reason why I like to establish a pressure for each individual is that it gives me something to aim for and I know when I'm falling short of what I intend for the patient. And because I have it written down in the record when the patient comes in, I don't have to figure out time and time again, is Mrs. Jones' eye pressure okay or is it too high or whatever. I at least can get myself grounded there knowing that, okay, it looks like the pressure is pretty good today. Let's look at the OCT imaging. Let's look at the visual field and see if we can continue on as we're doing. However, I think it's important to stress the point that if the doctor establishes a target pressure, as I believe he or she should, it is not written in stone. There's no magic to it. And if the patient is doing very well for a time and is having side effects, one could consider increasing the target pressure and decreasing the treatment. And clearly, if the patient appears to be getting worse, despite reaching the target pressure, one has to consider lowering the target pressure and intensifying the therapy. You just brought up a very good point, resetting target pressures. I do the same. Sometimes I raise them. Right. Now, as with any good sort of scientific thought process, I've had close colleagues of mine who disagree with the concept of setting a target pressure for each patient, but 
I don't think their arguments for doing that are very strong. And I would strongly advocate to all the glaucoma patients out there, if you don't know what your doctor thinks your safe eye pressure is for your eye, you should ask your doctor, doctor, what is a safe pressure for me? And I think that can be a valuable exercise. So you're asking me about things that I've done in my career and things that I am doing now. Well, it's, it's been a fairly long career. The academic exercises that I'm most involved in now is I have a longstanding relationship with something called the Cochrane Collaboration. This is an international organization dedicated to using evidence-based research to make clinical decisions. And we have published much in the area of uh, eye conditions and even in the sort of treatments that glaucoma patients would be interested in, such as laser treatment and surgery. And then I've had a good deal of my time, as I mentioned before, taken up now in this role as editor of this journal, which I think is on the cusp of being the most important journal in our area of glaucoma. And this gives me an opportunity not only to see the best research that is being done in our field, but also gives me a chance to make comments to try to improve the author's work. So that's been quite a valuable thing for me. And then having become more of a senior faculty member at the Wilmer Institute, it gives me great satisfaction to see the next generation of stars, such as Dr. Kaleem, ascending to take our places. Thanks, Henry. I also wanted to ask if patients wanted to get your expert opinion, how could they see you? We are still accepting new patients, and I love my old patients, but I like seeing new patients as well. I see patients in two locations, downtown on our East Baltimore campus, and then also at our Greenspring Station office, which is about 10 miles north of downtown. Baltimore. I happen to be the medical director of our Greenspring facility, and we're about to complete a large expansion and renovation. So it would be great if some new patients who wanted opinions about glaucoma came out to Greenspring Station and saw me or one of my colleagues, Dr. Ian Pitha or Elise McGlumphy. I wanted to say that Ophthalmology Glaucoma is my favorite journal, and I always read it cover to cover, so thank you for the work you've done with that. And if listeners want to support your work, how can they do so? All of us at the Wilmer Institute and other academic institutions are dependent in part upon philanthropy to do research and to increase knowledge in the area. We do have grants from the federal government and from industry, but that often is not enough. So we do depend upon the philanthropic contributions of patients. And the way to do that would be to get in touch with our senior associate director of development, Kathy Engelmeyer, and her contact information is present on the Diagnosis Glaucoma website.
right? So if you wanted to support Dr. Jampel's work, as he just said, go to the Diagnosis Glaucoma website to the homepage. And if you scroll to the very bottom, Kathy Anklemeyer happens to also be the development officer for Harry. So uh, you can find her contact information on the bottom of that website. Henry, I want to thank you for your time and sharing your thoughts with us. And is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before our time is up here? Well, I want to thank you and Harry Quigley for coming up with the concept of this podcast. And now I have to go back and listen to every episode, just like you're reading our journal cover to cover. Thank you, Henry. And we look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Diagnosis Glaucoma. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, your mom says take your drops.